Uh, it's Mark's Gospel, chapter 6. Today we're talking about the homecoming king. Jesus goes to his hometown again uh, after maybe about a year away, goes to his old stomping grounds to the place he grew up. It's a small town of Nazareth. Uh, it was a place where they were pretty tight-knit. Uh, everybody knew each other's business. They knew each other's story. And so here comes Jesus back for a second visit. Uh, after the controversies that Jesus had uh, endured from not only friends and family saying that you've lost it, Jesus, you need to come home with us, uh, and the religious leaders saying that all the things you're doing uh, it, with, with all of your powers to cast out demons and healing people, it's not done in the power of God. You actually are filled with the devil himself. And so the prince of demons is what they said. Healings and miracles, he heads back not to relax, but to offer the kingdom once again to his hometown. His first visit, uh, when he began his public ministry, he went to Nazareth, he opened up the scroll in uh, the book of Isaiah, and he began to read a prophecy about him beginning his ministry, and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, he offended them by his teaching. They took him up to the edge of a cliff to throw him off. But certainly, you know, he navigated away and that didn't happen. Jesus, you know, uh, escaped that moment. And so here's a second time going. I don't know about you, but, you know, uh, for those of you that grew up in a small town, you go back home, uh, they try to throw you off a cliff the first time you go back. Maybe you won't want to go back, right? Christmas is no longer in your hometown. But here's Jesus back there. Chapter uh, 6, Mark's Gospel, and we'll look at verse 1 through 6 this morning. And it says, And he went away from there, and he came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him, they were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could not do no mighty work, or, and he could do no mighty work there except he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled, notice this, because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Here's this opportunity for them to hear about the kingdom of God again. Uh, he's been doing what the, the prophet said the Messiah would do, healing the sick and raising the dead and uh, setting the captives free. And, and yet here he comes to his hometown, giving them this, another opportunity to be a part of the kingdom and believe. Now he's got his disciples with him. It's more than the 12. Perhaps there were dozens of them that were with Jesus at this time. So you can imagine this, the town got kind of stirred up. Here comes Jesus uh, the one who's been doing all these miracles that we've heard all about. And again, he went in on the Sabbath to teach uh, and to share about the kingdom of God. And they have two reactions in this, in this little, on this day, on this Sabbath day. The first is this. It says that they were astonished uh, at him. They were astonished by what they had heard and not only hearing him teach with authority, but the things that they knew he was going around doing. 
Uh, this word astonished here in our text, it, it means this, to be amazed to the point of being overwhelmed. And what were they astonished by? His wonderful wisdom and his mighty works. This wisdom that he shared scripture uh, with and, and all the wisdom about the kingdom of God being the Messiah himself and the author of scripture, but also his mighty works. They'd heard about the stories uh, that had been going around in other cities, how demon-possessed people, he was casting demons out of people. Perhaps they'd even heard what had happened just a week before to uh, Jairus' daughter, how she, she had been raised up as this 12-year-old girl who had passed away and, and Jesus had raised her up and given her life uh, back to her. So all these miracles they had heard about. So then they start asking these questions. Like, where did he get this wisdom, right? Uh, what is this that we're hearing? How does he do these things? The evidence that they are referring to is all pointing to the fact that, yes, Jesus is from this hometown, and he grew up here, and he left when he was 30 years old. All of it is pointing and screaming that he's the promised Messiah that Israel had been awaiting. And they've got everything in their, they have everything in their uh, possession to actually choose to believe. We hear him teaching. We hear about these miracles. These are all things that, that only God does. Only the promised Messiah is able to do, right? Pointing to the fact that he is. But then it dawns on them. Wait a minute, Jesus. We've known you since you were this tall, Right? And maybe some of you guys have, like, you've had people grow up in your life, you're older, you know, you're, I just turned 51 last week, so I'm starting to know people that were young, and now all of a sudden, like, they go to school, and they're like a doctor, and you're like, you know what, man, I know, I don't know if I trust you, because you were a naughty, naughty little kid, right? <laughs> or like, you know, a dentist, and you're like, you know, man, I have this kid used to play on my baseball team that I coached, and you're like, I don't know if I trust him with all these sharp objects in my mouth. It's a little bit like that. Jesus, we know you. We've known you since you were a baby. Uh, is this not the carpenter? Jesus was a carpenter by trade. It meant more than he worked with wood. He was sort of like the handyman, the, the town handyman. And then they have a little jab. Isn't this the son of Mary? And it referred to him as the son of Joseph, which was what you would do during that time period to show honor to a person's father and their lineage. Isn't this the son of Mary? And, and, and are not his, um, you know, his siblings with us? Like we know his brothers and sisters, they're here. It was like they're so familiar with Jesus, or what they thought they knew about Jesus that they, they chose in this moment to not believe. You know, Joseph had at some point, you know, jo so Mary and Joseph, right? They're this chosen couple to bring about this Messiah into this world. Mary was a virgin, gave birth to Jesus. Jo Joseph and Mary got married. They had other kids after Jesus was born. But after the age of 12, we don't have any record of Joseph in, in uh, Jesus's life anymore. So many believe, and most scholars believe, that Joseph passed away perhaps when he was a young teenager. So Jesus actually took the head of the household role, and he began to do work so he could provide for his mother and his siblings until they were of age and they could begin to work and provide for themselves. And that's when he began his public ministry. So here's Jesus back in his hometown. They hear all this teaching. Uh, they, 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 they heard about the miracles. They, they've heard the stories that this is the Messiah as he's preaching about the kingdom of God. 
But then they start in with, but we know him. He's a carpenter by trade. He's not a trained rabbi, the town handyman. And also the rumors about his birth. You know, uh, can you imagine? I mean, people are so cruel, right? This world is very cruel. You know, the story about Mary. You know, hey, how are you pregnant? This teenage girl. Well, uh, an angel came and told me that this was gonna, I was going to give birth to the Son of God, the Son of Man, you know, uh, the Messiah. And, uh, and, I, and I've never known a man. And that I'm, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Sure you are, Mary. Right? You imagine. So that, that was a little jab. In fact, later on, the, the Pharisees will tell Jesus, well, we know who our father is, but we don't know who your father is. And it was sort of this rumor that had gone around that he was an illegitimate child. There's no such thing, by the way, as illegit- illegitimate children, <laughs> only illegitimate parents. Can I get it? No, no amens. <laughs> so they thought they really knew him. Their familiarity with him at least led to this, uh, this stumbling block. They were, they were amazed by him. They were astonished at his wisdom and his mighty works. But the second reaction is this, that they were offended by him. It's a word that literally means to, to stumble. It's, it's the same word we get in the original language, our word scandalized. It was a scandal to them. Like, we can't put this together. Why? Because they thought they knew him. They knew him as a child. They, they hired him to do work for their family. They bought tables and chairs from him, and they just couldn't believe that he was the Messiah. They knew the facts about him. It's Mary's son. His brothers and sisters are here, yet they would not believe. They had made up their minds about Jesus before they really did the research. They made up their minds. The Bible says, a fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Not his head. It's, it's, it's a decision that you make within saying, I don't want to believe, so I'm going to choose to not believe. And there's all these questions that I have. 30 years they were around him. and They couldn't see his true identity. And it led them as a town and as a group of people to miss out on all the kingdom of God would have provided for them had they simply seen the evidence and chosen to believe like other areas and other towns. How about us? How about you? Some of you grew up in church, right? Some people that are watching today online, you, you're around Christianity enough. Maybe he even lives within you. I think Christians can be in danger of sort of having a familiarity with Jesus. You know what I mean? We're just sort of like, it's like, it's our, our, relate, our, our walk with God, our, our version of Christianity. It moves from this exciting relationship with Jesus. I was thinking this morning, praying for our service, and uh, I was thinking about those early days as a new Christian. You know, have you ever been around like a new Christian? They're just excited about God's word. And they're like, man, I was reading this. And you're just sort of like, hmm, it'll die off. Don't worry. How horrible, man. Like, I want to, I want, it, it's amazing to look back. Uh, for those of you guys that journal, do we have any journal people here? It's not a diary, guys. It's a journal. Especially it's like made out of like, I don't know, alligator skin or something manly like that. And you look back in times, of maybe your early days as your walk with God, you look back at your journal and you just go like, wow, there's just excitement and joy and couldn't wait to spend time with the Lord. And now it just becomes sort of like checking off boxes. Did I read? Oh, I didn't read my Bible, you know, yesterday. Man, I don't even know where my Bible is, you know. Siri, where's my Bible? It's like, on your phone, dummy, right? 
we can be in danger as followers of Jesus to be lulled to a place in our lives where we're like, oh, I know this. I've heard this sermon. I've heard that passage, right? Forgetting that he's almighty God. And as such, deserves all of our life to be laid down before him. You know, there's a verse in Romans 12 that says that you and I are called to lay down our bodies daily as a living sacrifice. And Paul goes so far to say, it's reasonable worship of yours to lay your life down. Here they think, we know Jesus. And I think sometimes in the Christian life, we can... uh, kind of grow to an apathetic place in our own relationship with Christ because of the same reasons. Oh, I know him. I know about, you know, this story. You know, I don't need, you know, I read the Bible once. I don't need, well, it's a living book that God wants to speak into your life. Every single moment you have in it, and it goes with you as you tuck it in your heart and in your life, and God speaks to you. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And yet we can get lulled to sleep and sort of unimpressed, if you would, with who he is simply because we've been around Christianity for a long time. We grow up in churches, right? We know this stuff. I know him. It could be that we are sort of mimicking their reaction. All these cool things about God and Jesus and what he's done for us. And, and yet we can get to that spot where I know him. He's the carpenter's son. We get so familiar with Christianity that we're no longer close and familiar with Christ, right? It's about a relationship. Your prayer life gets in a rut. Your Bible study gets in a rut. I think in these kinds of moments, looking at these guys saying, man, they were just like, ah, oh, we've been around it long enough. Been around this for long enough. Get back to an exciting walk with Jesus. His word is alive. Prayer is powerful. You and I get to be directed by the creator of the universe through his Holy Spirit directing and guiding your life. I can't think of a more exciting life to live than to live your life fully for the kingdom of God. Their conclusion, though, was he's not special. There's nothing special about Jesus. And in spite of the clear evidence, as they could have searched the scriptures and seen that this was their Messiah, the promised one. Your Messiah is here. The miracles pointing to his claim about his true identity as the Son of God and the Messiah, the King, and his offer of salvation. Yet they still reject him, and they even mocked him. You're the Son of Mary. And it wasn't for his teachings or his miracles, but it's because they thought they knew who he was, and they were mistaken, and they were offended at him. They were caused to stumble, literally, with that idea of, of being scandalized. They, they couldn't explain him, so they rejected him. And then Jesus quotes a, a familiar uh, uh, saying among them, that a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. And what, the, what uh, Jesus was saying to them, it was, it was like an Old Testament prophet that was being rejected and, and, um, uh, and not listened to simply because, well, they said that we know him. Yet so foolish to reject without the reality of searching out what he said. Jesus said some radical things. Later on in the Gospel of Mark, here's what Jesus says. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. And anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Eternal life or eternal separation from God 
is at stake. I can't think of a, a, a more kind of crazy reaction to go, well, I kind of know about Christianity. I grew up in church, maybe saw a bad version of Christianity growing up, but there's a lot of things uh, that you would need to consider. He challenges the Pharisees later on in John's gospel, John 5. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me and to receive this life. They refuse to look at the clear evidence, and many people do that today. They're in a state of unbelief based on insufficient knowledge. Their unbelief kept them from coming to him, and they missed out. You know, you and I fail in this way too, right? Uh, our unbelief keeps us from coming to Jesus with our needs and things that God wants to do in our life. Something we talked about last week, how here's this woman who had been bound up uh, for 12 years and suffered at the hand of physicians. And, and here's this man, Jairus, who's a synagogue ruler. and He had 12 years of light in his life with his daughter who was about to die. And because of their faith, they said, Jesus, we know you can do something. Unbelief keeps people from coming to know Jesus personally, but it also keeps you and I from praying about things because we just are at that spot where like, well, I've, you know, I prayed about this, or gee, I don't know if God's really interested in helping this. You know, God's concerned about every situation in your life. I said something last week to you. I said, I said, that the, the statement that Jesus gave Jairus when he found out his daughter had died as they were being held up, this miracle that took place on the road to his house, uh, Jesus said, uh, don't be afraid, only believe. And I told you last week, man, let that be something you turn the volume up on in your life. And it's interesting. Tam and I, this last week, we were praying uh, for, you know, our family. We pray for our kids. We pray for our granddaughter and pray for our church family. And there was some uh, situation that it's just, you know, a part of our journey, raising kids, right? And, you know, hey, they, you, you don't stop raising your adult children. In fact, I think you stress out more about them. You know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, and so we were praying for our kids and just, you know, um, you know, you can't control them anymore. What's up with that? I mean, they didn't tell us that at St. Agnes. Like, hey, when you leave, by the way, have fun. Uh, easy, way back in the day. Guess what? Your favorite TV show is uh, Bible Man. Your favorite songs are from Salty, the singing songbook. Did anybody grow up on Salty? It, when you look at it now, it's so creepy. This blue book. I tried to show our staff when I'm like, they're like, yeah, no, thank you, Lord. I got saved in 2000 and after. You guys have no idea how good you have it. You know what I mean? Like, you used to go to the Bible house. You want to, like, as a new Christian listening to, like, you know, Rush and Metallica and, you know, all these great rock bands. And then I'm like, you know, uh, I went to a church and they said, you can't listen to that music anymore. That's the devil's music. And then we like, you know, boxed it all up. And some of you guys burned your stuff and broke your albums. They'd be selling right now for a lot of money. We could own our own building right now based on some of the things that Christians have destroyed. And you go to the Bible house and you look through a little pamphlet, a little diversion here. And it says, if you like Metallica, you'll love Striper, right? And every rock band that you liked, it was this, here's your options, Striper and Petra. Does anybody remember those dark, dark days of Christian life? They missed out, man. Here this group missed out. 
Go Google Striper and watch some of their videos. It'll, it'll blow you away. They missed out on all that Jesus could have provided for that community on that day. We miss out, right? James says, you have not because what? You ask not. I wonder if there's things that God wants to do, miracles in your life, breakthroughs in your family, because we sort of give up and we just get lulled into that. I just don't believe anymore. I don't believe that God would do this or could do this. Jesus will later cry over Jerusalem, his final week on earth. And he cries. He has this big lament, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I've longed to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, right? But you were not willing. They refused as a nation to receive their Messiah and experience all the blessings of the kingdom. Just like this group here in Nazareth. He said, not many miracles were done that day because of their unbelief. You know, Jesus is amazed two times in the Bible. Two times he's amazed. He's not amazed at uh, the, you know, the temple and, and, you know, the things that he created. We don't see him amazed at anything except two times in the Bible. One is he's amazed at their unbelief right here in our text. The other is he's amazed by a Gentile's faith, a Roman centurion who comes to him one day and says, Lord, if you speak the word, I know that healing will take place back in my home. And Jesus says, I've not found a faith like this in all of Israel. He says he was amazed at this man's faith. Faith and unbelief. You know, the Bible says, Hebrews eleven six, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. He'd done so many things to prove he was the Messiah, fulfilling prophecies, over 300 major prophecies Jesus fulfilled, all pointing to the fact that he's the promised one from God. Miracles, casting out demons, pointing to the claim that he's the son of God who offers salvation to all who repent and believe. But his hometown is filled with apathy, and he marvels at their unbelief. He could not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Think how powerful unbelief is in their life. Think how powerful unbelief is in our life. I wonder if you, I I read something this morning. Uh, One pastor said, um, I wonder if Jesus would be amazed at our faith in him and our trust in him, right? Or if he would marvel at, after all that I've shown you, after all that you've seen in scripture, after all that I've actually done in your life up to this point, that you would still doubt my love, my concern, and my abilities for you. Why was he not able to do any mighty works? Did their lack of faith restrict his powers like it's kryptonite? God wants to do a work in your life. You're like, I don't believe it. Like Jesus is like, ah, my power is gone. You know what I mean? He's God. There was a moment in time where this woman was uh, on her way to a funeral. Uh, Her own dear son was in the, the coffin and Jesus walks right up to the coffin and he touches it and speaks to this young man and he is uh, raised up to life and he gives her son back to uh, the mother. What a miracle. Nobody had faith in that moment. They're all going to bury this young man. The man didn't have faith. The mother didn't have faith. No one knew Jesus was sneaking up like that. 
So is, does unbelief restrict God? You know, like, like we hold him captive? You know what I mean? Like, no, I don't believe. And God's like, oh, I can't do anything. I'm God. He could do whatever he wants. Was it retaliation? Oh, you guys want to play hardball, Nazareth? Okay. We, no soup for you, right? Nothing. You get nothing. Here's what, it, here's what it means. It means that the unbelief kept them from coming to Jesus. Unbelief kept them from uh, gaining all that Jesus could have provided for them that day. By the way, unbelief and our lack of asking and seeking and knocking keeps so much from us that God wants to do in our lives simply because we just choose to stay in that state of unbelief. Think of what they missed out on, healings. The lame in their community to walk, the blind to see. The kingdom of God in, in their life now, with all the, you know, the pillars of the kingdom, love, joy, and peace, are not theirs on this day because they simply chose to, to not believe the freedom from demonic possession from some of the folks that lived there. If they simply would have just believed. You know, this visit was discouraging, I'd imagine, right? But it was a teaching moment. He's getting ready to send out his disciples two by two uh, next week in our text. And they're the ones who are going to have to carry out the message of the kingdom. Let me ask you a question. It's discouraging, isn't it, when you try to share with someone about your relationship with Jesus and, you know, the life that they could have if they simply would believe and, and trust in him. And they're just like, oh, that's a cute little, you know, religion you have. You know, I'm glad that you found Jesus, right? Well, he wasn't lost, by the way. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm glad you have that as a crutch or something that's, you know, I don't need that in my life. It's discouraging when you try to share with somebody. Some are going to reject a lot of people are going to reject the disciples. In fact, every one of these apostles that are with Jesus at this time, every one of them will give their life up because of their profession of Jesus' death and physical resurrection and life that can be found in his name, believing in him. Every one of them. Talk about rejection, right? Somebody doesn't invite you to sit with them at lunch. Like, oh man, I tried to share with them last year, and gee, now they're, they, they think I'm just a Bible thumper and I'm a you know, weirdo or whatever. These guys gave up their life. People, some people are going to reject. Guess what? We share anyways. With kindness, love, and humility. Let me say that. <laughs> we were early Christians, uh, way back in the day, back in the 80s, me and some of my friends, and one of my friends stood up on a table, like a Denny's or something like that at midnight when everybody's there, and like telling everybody about Jesus, and they're all going to go to hell and all that kind of stuff. Don't do that. Don't do that one. Don't do that version of sharing. Although, who knows, maybe some people got saved in a grand slam. What a great night, right? A grand slam and salvation, right on. Gang, we're here, man. We are here. God has put us in this area He's put people in your life. He's put neighbors in your, your neighborhood. He's put young people. He's put a coach in your life. He's put a teammate in your life. You got shifted to a different team and you feel bummed about it, but God did that and allowed that so that you could be with a certain person to be a light to them. Like we're talking about, you know, this isn't, you know, who, you know, who has the best burger in town, right? This isn't, this isn't like, 
you know, gee, you know, you, optional kind of stuff. Here's a stat for all of us. One out of every one of us is going to die one day. Right? Every person's going to stand before Almighty God. Every friend of yours that you're afraid to share with, every friend of mine that I'm embarrassed to say, hey, have you considered Jesus Christ? Every one of them will stand before Almighty God and give an account to their life. I think you and I could handle a little bit of, like, um, uh, I guess, truth to say, Lord, what else are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, what else are we doing in life? Who's ready to go to heaven right now and just, like, be done with politics and COVID and all this stuff, right? We're all, like, you know, just like, Lord, the kingdom, peace, love, joy, no tears, no anything, you know, no bad stuff, all good, you know, the kingdom of God. So why does God still have us here? Well, he wants us to grow and get closer to him and trust him and raise, you know, our, our families and, and point them to Jesus Christ. But it's so that you can be a light and a witness to the lost people that he's put in your life. You invite them to church. You invite them to study God's word with you. You know, Paul says that we're supposed to compel people and urge them. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, God is, is, is pleading through us to you, be reconciled to God. That's some intense language. Let me, let me close with this. Who, who has God put in your life to share this message of Jesus Christ and the hope that we can have and eternal life that we can have and, and the peace that we can have right now? Who has he put in your life? Your, a sibling? A spouse? A neighbor? A coworker, A coach? A workout person? You know, a, a teammate? Who has God put in your life? I, I don't care how young you are. I, one of the greatest stories of someone coming to Jesus that I can recall back from my FCA days was a, a, a coach had come to know Jesus Christ because of his water polo young person that was on his team. And, and he and his dad prayed for his coach every single day together because they wanted to see their coach saved. When I heard that coach share his testimony at an FCA event, I was just like tears coming down my face. I'm like... Dude, some kid is responsible for sharing the good news with a grown adult who had spent years stiff-arming God and the gospel and Christians. How powerful is that? So don't ever underestimate young people uh, how, how powerfully God can use you. Whoever that person is, challenge them. So you might be familiar with Christianity, but can I encourage you to search it out? One of the uh, great experiences of my journey as a pastor is to talk with people who have maybe some doubts about God or they don't believe. We had a early days of RVC, way back in the movie theater days, we had the church atheist. He was the most faithful guy at church. He came every single Sunday. And I remember meeting this guy at Coffee Head's coffee shop, uh, right? They, Starbucks murdered them um, and took over. And uh, um, such a bad organization. Never mind. Um, <laughs> And, and remember, it's like encouraging him to just open the Bible, man, and ask God to speak to you. Another a good friend of mine who's a, a non-believer, kind of like a, uh, very confused in his, in his sort of faith journey, you know, grew up with a lot of different religious experiences and stuff. And I remember we would meet for coffee and he would read a chapter of the Gospel of John every single day. And on that journey is where he discovered a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
challenge a friend and say, listen, I know it might feel nutty to you or, you know, but I just want you to know you should search this out. There's so much at stake. Like encourage him, read the gospel of John, just one chapter a day. Ask God to speak to you. God, if you're real, speak to me. God's up for that kind of challenge. And encourage them to read the gospel of John. For them to say, I don't want to believe because they've never searched it out. It's just, it's just not, it's not wise, right? It's inconsistent with all the other things in our life. So go and search it out to read through the Gospel of John. Have an open mind. Ask God to reveal himself to you. Or maybe you're here, maybe you're watching, maybe you're in that spot too. You're kind of like, I just don't know about Christianity yet. I'm checking things out. You should start reading the Gospel of John, asking God to reveal himself to you and and see what God does in your life. The claims of Jesus are so radical and the consequences of unbelief are so great. Why would you not Take a few hours of your life to discover, is this true? Examine the evidence before you decide, unlike this group in Nazareth on this day. Jesus, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it tells us this. He came to the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. What do you need to do to become a believer? Simply believe, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. He or she who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no hoops to go through, friends. It's you recognize that you're a sinner You believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you choose to believe and accept him and he gives you the ability and the right to become a son or daughter of God. That's the greatest news sinners could ever hear. That my sins can be forgiven. That I can I can have almighty God dwelling in my life now. He can guide my life. He wants to speak to me and spend time with me. He wants to hear me talking to him and he wants to answer my prayers. And I don't have to fear death because he said he's the resurrection and the life and that he or she who believes in me, though they die, yet shall they live. Your last breath on this planet, whenever it is, I don't know how many cycles around this uh, sun we get, but let's just say you you make it to 90, 95, That sounds like we're going to be really struggling. Let's go backwards a little bit. 85. You take your first in the presence of the kingdom of God as you take your last breath on earth. There's there's no like holding tank. There's no it's to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I can't think of I can't think of anything greater to hear that God loves you and I that much that he didn't want you to spend eternity without him. So he made a way for you to be saved and have your sins forgiven. Go share that good news with somebody this week. Let us know. Write it down. Hey, I'm praying for so-and-so, and and I'm going to encourage them to take the Gospel of John challenge. And let us know so we can be praying with them or for you. Or maybe you're watching, or maybe you're doing it right now. You're saying, you know what? I'll take you up on that, Gordon. I'll start reading through the Gospel of John. And you want to talk and have some conversation about it, hit me up. 
And let's talk about what God is speaking to you and teaching you about him and his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word and God giving us this opportunity to see uh, this group in Nazareth. Lord, they felt like they really knew you. Jesus, they grew up around you. uh, And Lord, that familiarity, um, it it often does breed contempt. Uh, they, They really didn't know you. It was insufficient knowledge, Jesus. Lord, may we never be guilty of insufficient knowledge, things that are at our fingertips that we could learn and know about you and increase our own faith and belief of who you are, Lord, and your abilities in our lives, God, and, um, and Lord, the things that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, I also pray for those. We have some friends. Lord, every one of us should have somebody we're praying for, someone that, that you put in our path so that we could be a light and share the good news with. And so I pray that, that you will Give us some boldness, Lord, to get rid of some of the fear, Lord. The fear of man brings a snare, to not be afraid. Not only is just humans, Lord, to not be afraid of what others think about us, but especially with the gospel. May we not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to all who would believe. Lord, give us the ability to see these people come to know you, Lord. We want to see them know you. We want to see them walk with you, be disciples of yours. I also pray for those who are here now. God, there might be one, there may be a few. They're here watching, here in this room. Lord, they have had thoughts about you, inaccurate ones. And Lord, they're, they're, they're looking at the evidence. They're looking at you, Jesus, and who you are, what you claim to be, your identity as the Son of God. And Lord, your offer of salvation to all who would come to you. Lord, you can do that miracle of salvation in their life right now by them simply choosing to believe. You know, the heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're with us this morning, maybe you're watching online, watching later on. And today, you sense God's spirit knocking on the door of your heart saying, let me in. Right? Let me give you the kingdom. But you have to open that door. And today you're willing to do that. Today you want to say, pray for me, Gordon. Today I want to choose to believe in Jesus and have my sins forgiven and have the hope and promise of eternal life. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up high enough so I can see it. And let's just tell God together. God bless you, buddy. Anybody else? Anybody else? God bless you. Man, he loves each and every one of you. Anybody else? As we close out this time, it doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Bible says that Christ is going to come into your life and make you new, make you a new person. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new when you choose to believe. Anybody else? As we close out this morning. Listen, for those of you that raise your hands today, I'm going to pray a prayer up here. And right where you're sitting, right where you're watching right now, I want you to pray after me. And, and, and you tell God what you want him to do in your life through this prayer. Repeat this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, and today I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins, Lord, and you rose from the dead. I trust and I follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life from this day forward and help me to do your will. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for being in my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Hey, would you guys do me a favor right now and just welcome those that that just prayed that prayer?
Would you do me a favor and let us know if you just prayed that prayer? Maybe you didn't even raise your hand, but you said you, you prayed that prayer in your heart as we prayed together. Let us know. I want to give you some tools that will help you grow as a follower and a new disciple of Jesus. God bless you guys. Let's all stand as we close out in a song of worship today.